Welcome back to another episode of Word Books with Friends. We'll be discussing Chapter 5, Diagon Alley. And I'm always joined by the great co-host, Chris. Hi, I'm Chris. And you're, you're Paul. You, did, you didn't introduce yourself. Oh. oh, yeah, that's true. I still haven't figured out to, how to properly introduce this. I do them on the odd ones. I mean, yeah, that's okay. I mean, this is only the fifth of one of these we've done. It's been a week since we recorded the first four, so, you know, it's it's an adjustment period. Much like Harry is going through here in uh, chapter number five. Diogon Alley. What a, which is a great pun. It is. It's a kid-style pun, but still works. And Diagon Alley, if you're ever uh, down in Orlando, or I guess, is it also in uh, Hollywood, too? The Universal Studios there? I believe the Hollywood... Universal Park only has Hogsmeade. I don't think they have the Diagon Alley section. But again, I'm not 100% because I've never been out there, so I don't know for sure. Well, I know there is a true fact that in Orlando, if you go to the Diagon Alley there, you'll actually find the intersection of Diagon Alley with Horizont Alley. So, And again, this is something that's fitting in just with kind of the the naming of the streets that J.K. Rowling created because we had already had Diagon Alley here in the first Harry Potter book and then later were introduced into Nocturne Alley. And when it came time for them to actually build the Diagon Alley section of Universal Studios, uh, you know, Universal Creative called over to him and be like, hey, just so we know, we're building another street that kind of runs across this one. What what would it be called? And then just kind of without missing a beat, J.K. Rowling is like, well, Horizontally. Not even mentioned in the books at all. That's just how clever she is. Uh, we get Harry here uh, waking up, thinking, and like at, at the moment of waking up, he's like, hey, this whole thing with a giant coming and taking me away and telling me I'm a wizard, it's all a dream. I don't want to wake up. I'm just going to keep on dreaming this dream, which I kind of like because... I really can relate to Harry's feeling of like not belonging and feeling like kind of an imposter, you know, not trying to live up to something maybe he can't. And that's my hook into Harry Potter. Like that's my hook for the character. So every time it gets mentioned and he has those moments, I'm like, okay, this, this chap's relatable. And something also worth kind of mentioning here is when you watch the movie, it just seems like, okay, as soon as Harry gets all of his stuff, he's just kind of shuffled off to school. Uh, Harry spends, like, a month with the Dursleys after everything happens, which is kind of weird. Yeah, it is weird, but uh, we'll get to that in the next chapter, because, you know, that's basically the whole start of the... Because in this chapter, there's a lot of meat. There's a lot of exposition. There's a lot of world building. In the last chapter, Hagrid kind of explains Harry's history. And in this chapter, Hagrid is stuck uh, kind of explaining the whole Wizarding World's history. <laughs> and I, I think it's extremely well done, too, because this is kind of one of the chapters I was most looking forward to talking about on the show until we get to some of the later ones in this book and other books down the road, too, because... Much like Harry, we're taking our first steps into the bigger world at this point. It's one thing to have Harry being, you know, the beat up little kid, you know, okay, you're destined for something greater. 
without knowing what that is now. But we're along with Harry for this ride at this point. And this is kind of where it gets the most fun because we're seeing everything through Harry's eyes at this point and just how crazy awesome it is. And a lot of this stuff is like fun discussion questions at this point. And that's what I'm really excited for with the podcast. Yeah. Uh, we got to learn everything. We got to learn the banking system, the politics, who's the governing agency. How do you get to place to place? What the heck is a Quidditch? Which gets explained within three different chapters. Yeah. Well, the thing with the thing with the Quidditch stuff is like uh, nobody really wants to go over all the rules because then even after you do find out the rules, you're like, "Oh, this is stupid. This is this is just dumb. Way to needlessly complicate things, wizards." Wizards also like to be uh, unsettlingly uh, kind of creepily into a caste system with other magical creatures because uh, we get a lot of talk about Gringotts and uh, the goblins there. And, man, it seems like uh, Hagrid, being half-giant, has has issues with the goblins. But, I mean, it seems like everyone kind of does because nobody really trusts the goblins because they're just all about money, but also the goblins are just kind of there reinforcing that stereotype too. So, but I, I would say goblins are probably over house elves in the, the Harry Potter cast system, at least. So they got that going for them. Yeah. Well, at least they're free. They're well-dressed. I mean, that's, that's nice for them too. Cause yeah, most of the story is, well, this chapter in the story is actually all about Hagrid taking Harry to Diagon Alley so they can go back to school shopping. But the very first thing they got to do is actually go get some money because Harry doesn't have anything. Uh, So they have to first take a stop at Gringotts, which we learned from Hagrid is the only wizarding bank. Like there's no other bank for wizards. So it's only Gringotts. They don't go into it, but do you think there's other Gringotts branches? Oh, yeah, there has to be. Okay. You know, I think uh, this would be like if you were to open up like a safety deposit box, like all your money would get transferred there. But I'm sure there's a way to transfer money out of that vault to other branches. You know, they probably do. Otherwise, what the heck are those goblins doing with all those books? Just always just like counting and books and scales. So that's possible. Now, my next question, and Paul, you as the economics major might be able to know this or might be curious about it as well. Does Gringotts have any kind of interest system? Like if you're putting your nuts, sickles and galleons into your vault, are they magically like increasing? Are they multiplying somehow? Or do you think it's just like a static, like, okay, once you have your gold in there, it just, it just sits there. Goblins, I think, uh, wouldn't really have a good savings interest rate. Like, but I'm pretty sure they're lending out the perceived wealth of what's in their vaults against. So you think it's perceived? Really? You think it's perceived? Okay. I I think, I think the reason why they keep everything a mystery of how much and what is actually in the vaults and how many vaults there actually are a secret, because then they can say, no, no, we got that money that we can lend you for a fee, you know, and maybe they don't do, because it seems like, Hey, uh, J.K. Rawlings would do something a little bit more weird, you know, a little bit more older than just uh, an interest rate. Like, even though interest rates and compound 
uh, interest is magic. Just so <laughs> any economics major. <laughs> I think they would just do like usury fees, stuff like that, like older style uh, lending, more <clears> so <throat> than just uh, percentage rates. So that's what I'm thinking. And I don't think anybody really understands how much money is actually down there and how much wealth they actually have. And I think goblins use that to their advantage. That would make sense. I mean, just because, you know, going into fairy tale and fantasy tropes now, goblins are notoriously greedy. They hoard things. And then also we get mentioned there might be dragons uh, down there. And just the out, you know, when they actually go down into the mines, I kind of imagine those mines and caves. A mine! It's playing off of, yeah, exactly. The, uh, like old fantasy tropes, like from Lord of the from Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, like having these mines filled with untold treasure, treasures on untold, and being guarded by goblins and dragons. It just seems old fantasy to me. Mm-hmm. And I like that. Uh, we also learn in this chapter too that we do have a governing body for the Wizarding World, known as the Ministry of Magic, which the main function of the Ministry of Magic is pretty much just to keep the wizarding world a secret from muggles. And when asked about this, uh, Harry says, why? And Hagrid says, and I quote, why? Why me, Harry? Everyone be one magic solutions to their problems. Nah, we're best left alone. And this just kind of hits something to me that's wizards are like ultimately lazy though. And again, something that's been recently revealed by J.K. Rowling is that wizards don't usually use the bathroom. They just kind of pop a squat wherever they're at and then magic away their uh, their defecations. How is that worse than, like, helping the world, you know, solve, like, the food crisis? Wizards could do a lot of good, uh, but they're just magicing away their poop. Oh, well, doesn't she, didn't she also write about, like, the Salem witch trials and stuff like that, like... There, uh, there is some stuff about that once they started coming out with the uh, Fantastic Beast movie where she kind of started to touch on Wizarding World outside of London and the UK. Mm-hmm. That maybe in this, you know, when you're talking to an 11-year-old, maybe you don't want to be like, hey, Harry, uh, yeah, if muggles knew about us, they'd want to kill us because, you know, the world. <laughs> <laughs> Not not the best uh, thing to introduce, you know, kids to, I guess. So, yeah, just say, yeah, you know, if magic was around, nobody would do anything for themselves. And then Hagrid wouldn't be able to point out how clever parking meters are. That's true. And something I really didn't talk about uh, in the previous chapter, too, is where Hagrid was expelled from Hogwarts, you know, in his teen years, in, in those formative years. And as punishment, they broke his wand and he's forbidden from doing magic. That seems kind of like a harsh punishment because in this chapter, he does still have his pink umbrella with him that hides the shards of his wand. Wouldn't they just like expel him? Wouldn't that be kind of punishment enough? Or is it because he hasn't completed his classes? He can't do magic, but even someone like, you know, Bellatrix Lestrange or Sirius Black, people that have actually been thrown into wizarding jail, they still have their wands. So I, I don't think I get the wizard justice system too much. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you know. he, he just 
he did something bad in school. Yes. I mean, we can agree on that. Like not as terrible as everyone assumed it was. We'll talk about this more later and in this book itself, but it's like a really harsh punishment. It is. If you fail out of uh, Hogwarts, do you get your, no, because. Well, because technically like Harry's kicked out of school too. Yeah. And Newt's commander never yeah. finishes. He gets expelled, but his wand didn't get snapped. Yeah, the snapping of I, the wand. Is- I think this goes back into what you were saying before with the cast system, where it's because he's half giant. Uh, probably. Probably didn't trust him. That's terrible. But yeah, so there's some talk about Grand Gods, some talk of the Ministry. Uh, and then we get the first real thing that kind of gets me excited for this chapter. Uh, Harry's shopping list. Oh. Which, yeah. which I do have in front of me right here. Uh so the official Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry shopping list. Uh, they do have a uniform where all first year students are required to wear uh, three sets of plain work robes in the color of black, one plain pointed hack, plain pointed hat in the color of black for day wear, which they never seem to actually be wearing. Uh, one pair of protective gloves, dragon hide or similar, and then one winter cloak, black with silver fastenings. And then uh, all people's clothes should carry name tags. Uh, yeah, nothing nothing outlandish here. It seems like a pretty standard wizarding school uniform. Nothing really jumping out at me. Because later on, uh, once we learn that everyone gets sorted into houses, they get their, their cardigans and ties at that point, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. And what I like about it is it uh, doesn't mention anything about being wet all the time. It does not need to be wet all the time, unlike that uh, Smeltings. Oh, no, it wasn't Smeltings. It was Stonewall, yeah. Uh, Smeltings is where Dudley went. Um, Next up, they have their course books. Uh, All students should have a copy of each of the following. Uh, We'll just go through the list real quick, and then there's some stuff worth mentioning at the end. The Standard Books of Spells, Grade 1 by Miranda Goshawk. A History of Magic by Bethilda Bagshot. Magical Theory by Adelbert Waffling, A Beginner's Guide to Transfiguration by Emmerich Switch, 1,000 Magical Herbs and Fungi by Philodora Spore, Magical Drafts and Potions by Arsenius Jigger, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them by Newt Scamander, and The Dark Forces, A Guide to Self-Protection by Quentin Trimble. Again, really great naming on uh, J.K. Rowling's part because... All these name, names seem to have like a good flow. They seem to fit with the uh, courses that they're teaching about. And they sound like they could just be like weird, real names. Yeah. Well, like even a jigger is, you know, a measurement. You got to get a jigger and a pony for a measurement of, you know, for the bar. Well, and then also because we're talking about magical drafts and potions by Arsenius Jigger, which even then Arsenius very reminiscent of uh, arsenic, which is a poison. Ah, so that doubles and then, Newt's commander. Uh, Newt's commander. Salamander. Uh, and then also to 1,000 Magical Herbs and Fungi by Philodora Spore. Philodora is very much like a phylum, like a type of uh, oh, one okay. of the nominations of like, you know, yeah, like, like kingdom phylum. Oh. Yeah. Well, that, and then Spore, just like a way of, you know, plants procreating. Uh, Emmerich Switch. Switch, uh, meaning to change one thing from another. Uh, Beginner's Guide to Transfiguration over there. 
uh, magical theory. Albert waffling. I mean, to waffle between something is to not be able to make a decision. I don't know if that, if that comes in, but uh, the big ones worth mentioning, though, are History of Magic by Bethilda Bagshot and Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them by Newt Scamander, obviously. Um, we'll get to know Bethilda Bagshot a little bit in the upcoming books once uh, reporter Rhea Skeeter starts digging into Dumbledore's past. We find out that one of the people that she interviews is Miss Bethilda Bagshot, who we found out was not only friend to the Dumbledores while they were growing up, but also neighbor to the Potters. And it turns out, too, she was also the great aunt to evil wizard, Geller, uh, excuse me, Gellert Grindelwald. Um, and also, you know, by the time Harry gets to meet her, uh, she's a snake in disguise. Um, we never really get to meet her we never really get to meet her but I think the fact that she's kind of close to the Dumbledores as well as the Potters and then you know archivist of magical learning we can probably assume that she's a good person which is probably why someone like Voldemort yeah I said his name would go and then kill her to disguise Nagini to hide, you know, one of those horcruxes because he's all about just kind of bastardizing those beacons of good in the wizarding world. He's all just about like turning things. So uh, Chris, yes, you get to pick one book to actually take out of the wizarding world and bring it into your uh, room right now. Which, which one of those books would you take? Because when Harry gets to the book, you know, bookshop, he even mentions that uh, even Dudley, who's never read a book in Dave's life, would love to read one of these books. Honestly, I think Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Um, If I had known what I knew about how I would turn out as an adult, I think I would have leaned more into learning about animals as a kid because I absolutely love animals. I mean, I've got three cats. They're probably my favorite thing in the world. Um, I probably would have tried to become a vet or something. You know, I wouldn't be like a magic zoologist like Newt Scamander sought out to be, but I just think that would have been fascinating. And if there's one thing that kind of bridges that gap between the real and the fantasy, you know, even for like the real world here, it's animals. Like there's always some sort of touchstone that you can find in things that you're like, okay, well, this is a good bridge between our world and the fantastic. Um, how about you? Uh, I would go with a magical theory. Because, hmm. you know, it's great to learn your standard book of spells. Now, do you think that would be more like like philosophy? I think it would be a little bit of philosophy. I think it would be like how to where, where they're drawing the powers of the magical realm from, where that all comes from, how spells are built. I like how in, you know, throw it over to the bag and board side of things. In comics usually it seems magic has some kind of cost associated with it, but we really don't get that in the wizarding world. I wish we had, you know, glimpses of something like that. And I think that kind of stuff would be covered under magical theory, because I think if you understand the theory behind it, then I would be able to come up with my own spells. And, you know, when there's very few glimpses uh, in later books about how, well, even I guess in this book a little later on, how some people created their own spell. Like, oh, she was really uh, talented at charms, and she was able to come up with this. Uh, When we meet Luna Lovegood, 
she mentions how her mom was always uh, trying to craft new magic. So, a character we're going to be meeting in a couple, a couple more chapters. Uh, Server Snape creates his own spell with Sembra, which is, you know, a very punishing attack spell. Um, so yeah, he was he was probably a fan of reading this book. But also, I mean, worth mentioning too, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, we're getting the story of Newt Scamander right now being told through the Fantastic Beast films, uh, which I've enjoyed. We've only had two of them so far. Who knows if we're going to get the full five that we were originally promised, just because the second one didn't perform as well. But I found it enjoyable. Maybe we'll do that as like a, a special follow-up thing. Maybe we can revisit those as like a begging board or word books with friends like special episode um but in the bigger wizarding world newt's commander eventually winds up having children or a child who knows uh and then a grandchild who goes on to wind up marrying luna lovegood after the battle of hogwarts so wizarding world in the future uh spoilers luna's one of my favorite characters so it's always good to see things working out for her once we get around to meeting her there but it, yeah. it takes three more books right yeah uh and there's still lots to do here in this chapter we we but this is the this is the most interesting chapter uh because the other stuff on the uh the shopping list is other equipment which these are just going to be your back to school bit. so this is like the shopping list that has your pens pencils box of kleenex one glue stick that your teacher would send you because other stuff that was required is one wand, one cauldron, a pewter, standard size two, one set of glass or crystal vials, a telescope, and then a set of brass scales. And then students may also bring an owl or a cat or a toad. Uh, parents are reminded that first years are not allowed their own broomsticks. Now, what's also fun about this, students may bring an owl or cat or toad. No mention of rats at all. Hold on to that nope. thought. Hold on to it. We'll come back to it. So, so there we go. They got a shopping list. They got to get to London. They got to get to Gringotts. And how do you get there? Through, through, through a hole in a wall. Sorry, hold on. Let me hole in the wall tavern. My bad. Which eventually has a hole in the wall. See? Clever. And the, the leaky cauldron. Man, what a dive bar regulars only kind of place. <laughs> you know? Yeah, none of the pictures that we see of this place painted in the book here make it sound like it's anything great. It doesn't sound like it would be the entrance to this fantastic world, but also that could kind of be part of the enchantment on the place. Like, it's not supposed to draw attention to itself. Yeah, even in the book, uh, they mentioned that until Hagrid pointed out the sign, Harry had a feel that only he and Hagrid could see it. Like, that he didn't catch it at all at, at first. Uh, but it is mentioned that it's sandwiched between a record store and a bookshop. And for those uh, Wizarding World fans that have actually gone down to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter here in Orlando, as you're walking past the entrance to Diagon Alley. Uh, you have King's 
King's Cross Station there, which will transport you back and forth between the parks. But then you also do have a bookstore and a record shop there. And then as soon as you wind up walking through the brick archway that leads you into Diagon Alley, right on your left-hand side, you do see the Leaky Cauldron, which is an actual operating eatery. Um, so it's not a 100% you go through the Leaky Cauldron to enter Diagon Alley. But it is there to show that, hey, this is kind of your gateway into the wizarding world here. Because as soon as you pass through, bam, Leaky Cauldron's right there. Which actually is a pretty good place to eat, too. That's my recommendation. Go there. Check it out. Try it. It's good. We don't get any mention of the food here at, in the Leaky Cauldron in the book, though. But we do get a lot of people very excited to uh, see Harry Potter. Tom, uh, you know, the bartender... It calls right out to Hagrid, uh, you know, hey, get you the regular. And the Hagrid's like, nope, Tom, I'm on Hogwarts business. And everybody stops dead in their tracks, and they all recognize who's with Hagrid. And again, just to go back to previous episodes, everyone already seems to know who Harry is. Um, and then even in a couple pages from now, we get Ron mentioning like, oh, is, can I see the scar? Like, so much of who Harry is is already known to the wizarding world. Um, even a couple paragraphs down from this, we get Daedalus Giggle, Diggle, excuse me, introducing himself to Harry. Uh, so they're meeting officially for the first time. And then Daedalus re uh, reveals to Harry that he's seen him once before and said hi to him. And Harry recognizes him, which is Diggle's like, oh my gosh, Harry knows me. Hey, hey guys, this is cool. How does everyone know who Harry is? And at this point, too, one of my big questions is if all these people are recognizing Harry just out and about on the streets, you know, in suburbs of London, did how did nobody come up and be like, oh, you're Harry Potter. Your parents beat the Dark Lord. Wow. Nice to meet you. I feel like if there's that much just like celebrity, like reverence that people feel for him, somebody must have said something because, you know, I don't interact with a lot of celebrities, but if I see, you know, one of my favorite actors or musicians on the street, I'm going to be like, oh, hey, Bruce Campbell, I loved you in Army of Darkness. Like, just so I have something to say to them, you know? How, right. How has it not gone to that point with Harry yet? We're like, wow, big fan of how your parents killed the darkest wizard of all time. That was cool. I think, you know, with... Petunia walking around them and Vernon walking around them. Every time they see somebody like creepy like that, or you know, as they would say, creepy or crazy, like they would just walk in the opposite direction with Harry, like quickly whisk Harry away. Even in that first chapter, though, all these people are like saying to Vernon, like, "What a great day we're having! Hooray! Huzzah!" And he's just like, "Whatever." At that point, he already knew about the Wizarding World. He had married into a wizarding family. like Because Harry even says, in, I think in that chapter or chapter two, that every once in a while he, he feels like strangers and real strange strangers seem to recognize him. But every time he goes to look back, they've disappeared. Yeah, they're gone. Like, and yeah, Petunia, Aunt Petunia will be like, how do you know that strange that strange man? Like, no, I don't know. Like, So I think they would kind of run interference probably a little bit possible. yeah i mean it's possible just uh, trying to keep like they want to smash that out of them. like they don't want any kind of 
people coming up to Harry at all. They hardly want people to know they have Harry. So, Well, someone else that comes up to Harry at this point uh, is kind of a big character. Yeah, and we get uh, the introduction to Professor Quirrell. Quirrell. Uh, I have a hard time saying that. Uh, Quirrell, it's, a, it's just a weird name. It's that Q with the R's and the L's. Uh, yeah, but Professor Quirrell, uh, who we learn is also going to be one of Harry's professors at Hogwarts, who teaches defense against the dark arts. And Paul, also- you had a question about this. Yeah, because it says right here, uh, Professor Quirrell, who's a stutterer, and somebody... As I was a kid, I suffered from a stutter. Uh, Nice to get some representation, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Don't love that he's a bad guy, but cool. He, grasping Harry's hand, says, can't tell you how pleased I am to meet you. Grasping his hand. Yes. Which comes into play a little later. From what I remember from the movie, because in the movie, they don't touch at all. The book, clear as day, in words, written. He's grasping his hand. So I'm wondering, has he not gotten uh, the Voldemort uh, underneath his turban yet? Yep. So that's actually what winds up happening. So at this point in the story, Professor Quirrell has already met Voldemort and is kind of already working for him. Um, And what Quirrell's main job actually is going to be is to rob Gringotts Vault number 713 of something that Voldemort wants. But at this point, Voldemort hasn't actually taken control and bonded himself with Quirrell. So Quirrell's just kind of like a lackey at this point and is off to go do the Dark Lord's bidding. But after his failure to steal the item in said vault, this is when Voldemort is finally like, okay, let me do this myself. So at this point, Voldemort's not bonded with him, so he is able to touch Harry without any kind of repercussion for it. Yeah, because we don't get any mention of a turban in this scene at all. Nope. Uh, But then later on, as soon as Harry's actually at school uh, and they're at the Great Feast, Harry does make mention that, oh no, he does have a turban on now because he kind of can't take his eyes off of it. All right, cool, cool. Good breakdown because I'm like, wait a second here. We gotta get going. We are not, we're not even in Diagon. We're, we're not even Diagon L yet. Um, eventually, we wind up do getting through there. They tap on the brick wall in the alley. Hole opens up, and then they take their first steps into, you know, the actual Wizarding World. This is Harry's first immersion into this, where he sees all kinds of crazy stores. Um, they mentioned the Cauldron Store, the Elops Owl Emporium, people selling dragon livers at sixteen sickles an ounce, which is absolutely crazy. But then down at the end of the street is Gringotts where they're actually going. And this is Harry's first spotting of a magical creature when he sees his first goblin. And they're about a head shorter than Harry and Harry being all of the 11 isn't that tall. No, he's not, he's a, he's not a big kid yet. Uh, But as they're entering, we do have a plaque posted outside the bank. Um, with words engraved upon. I'm not going to read it because this is something that we're going to wind up seeing a bunch of throughout the series. And I feel like this is a direct lift from stuff like J.R.R. Tolkien, where we get a lot of rhymes, a lot of like verses, a lot of songs. Uh, I feel like it's a good way to incorporate 
you know, kind of like a whimsical storytelling into the book. I'm really glad they cut it all out of out of the movies, though. Well, they even cut it out of the Lord of the Rings movies for the most part. A lot of the songs. Well, they they cut a lot of it out. They work some of it in, but then in the Hobbit, where they actually wind up having some of the songs, I'm like, oh gosh, I don't need to see dwarves singing about Bilbo Baggins as they're like throwing plates around. Like, I think that's that's a lesson that Peter Jackson could have learned. But also, he had to stretch one book into three movies, so. You know, I guess it makes sense. Uh, but yeah, as they uh, enter, they find out that not only are they there to take out Harry's money, but Hagrid also has his own secret mission from Dumbledore, official Hogwarts business, uh, which involves them stopping by vault number 713, which only has one item in there, just a small parcel. And I think it's worth noting at this point, too, uh, vault number 713 we have seven as a lucky number, but then also 13 as an unlucky number. So depending on you know who you are and what you're trying to get out of this fall, it's either going to be a good thing for you or possibly a bad thing. We also learned that uh, if anybody tries to get inside a vault like that, one of the high security vaults, uh, people will be able to get trapped in there, get sucked through the door, and then trapped inside. They check them, they check them every 10 years, though. Yeah. Grip Hook says with a rather nasty grin. So even he enjoys uh, that they're just straight up murdering thieves. <laughs> and then, like you said, Grip Hook. Uh, Grip Hook is kind of one of those touch points that we have for later on in the story once we get into Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, where J.K. Rowling just really does draw everything that has been laid out in the six previous books. Um Again, at this point, he's just a random goblin that's taking them to make their withdrawal. You know, no other kind of motives from that point on. But now we get to some more more fun uh, wizarding economics. Because we actually wind up learning about wizard currency a little bit more. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We got the exchange rate about what a nut is to a sickle to a galleon. So 29 nuts to a sickle and 17 sickles to a galleon. It's such a weird system. But again, I mean, it, you got to make it kind of like whimsical and like funny. Like it has to not make sense because, well, yeah, it makes sense to a wizard. But to Harry and us, like, no, this is absolutely crazy. It's a hundred pennies to a dollar and then but four quarters to a dollar. But yeah, that's, you know, and 20 dime or 10 dimes to a dollar and 20 nickels to a dollar. So I was going to I was going to save this for once we get to. Ollivanders, uh, but I can talk about it now because originally when you would buy these books in hardcover when they first came out and they had the price stamped on the back side of it, it would tell you how much it was in United States currency, but then it would also tell you what the book would wind up costing you in galleon sickles and nuts. And from that, again, this is in the 90s, so who knows how inflation might have occurred and changed things. Uh, but at that time, uh, when the books were published, one nut was equal to one cent. So one sickle would be worth 39 cents, and then one galleon would be worth $6.64. I got a little uh, muggle money tip for all your wizards out there. If you want to convert your wizard money into muggle money, 
don't get do that exchange rate. Just melt down your gold galleons to gold and sell to gold. Yeah. <laughs> like you'll it's a much better exchange rate at that point. But we we wind up learning what Carrie pays for some stuff later on in the next couple chapters. So using that exchange rate, I'll let you know how much things actually cost, which doesn't sound as crazy as you think. Uh, but eventually we wind up going to Harry's family vault, which is the money that was left to him from his parents. And when the vault door opens, it's full of just stacks and stacks of gold coins. And this was something that made me just be like, well, where did Harry's family get all of this money from? And luckily enough, there is a short story available on Pottermore. Uh, so it's officially from the source with J.K. Rowling about where the money came from. And it turns out Insurance that... Insurance fraud. Nope. It actually turns out Harry comes from old money because uh, his father, James Potter, was actually just independently wealthy because the patriarch of the Potter family uh, was actually responsible for the creation of multiple potions that wound up being sold in the Wizarding World, the most notable which of being Skelligro, which if you break or lose a bone, Skelligro helps you recover said bone. Um, and he amassed his fortune this way and just left the money for later generations to, to pull from. Wow, he's got that old pharmacy money. He's, he's got that, that old pharmacy money. So yeah, so basically... James just had this fortune because, you know, his great, 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 great uh, grandfather from the 15th century was kind of a potioner. Um, I don't have his actual name in front of me because I didn't write that down. Uh, but his name was like Lyndon the, the Potterer because, you know, he was kind of like an apothecarist. So he would go everywhere with his pots and pans and it just got shortened to, oh, yeah, the, the potter. Uh, not, so it wasn't Johnson and Johnson Potter. No, so this became his his uh, surname. Much like you know, if you're like a shoemaker, you, you became Schumacher. So, so fun fact. That's one of those questions. It's like, well, how do they have all this money? Oh, it, his, his dad was kind of a Chad, which we'll we'll see further uh, evidence of as we go through the rest of these books. I always assume that they since they died so early, like they didn't end up spending a lot of money. And since they didn't have anybody to give any kind of assets or wealth to, it just sat there amassing, you know, for 11 years untouched. But though it's not like their house got sold. It's still, yeah, still, still just kind of there. But I mean, I guess it's like a historical site, but shortly after this, uh, we get Hagrid kind of dipping out because he feels sick after the, trip into and out of Gringotts. So it's up to Harry to get his robes on his own, where he winds up meeting his first other Hogwarts student. Someone who goes unnamed, does not introduce himself, is just too busy talking down about everyone else around him and talking up his mother and father. It's clearly Draco Malfoy. And I think it's such a great introduction to this character because he's already just speaking ill of everyone that's not him or his family that it took me to the point where he disappears. And I'm like, well, I already knew it's Draco right from the get-go because I've read these books, I've seen these movies. But I just think it's so great that at no point does Draco feel the need to be like, hey, I'm Draco Malfoy. Look, he's just, it's more about who he knows than who he is. 
he everybody else is so beneath him it takes until he hears that harry potter's on the train to want to even go and introduce himself to somebody he's not going to bother introducing himself to a nobody you know but he's going to talk but he'll <laughs> talk himself up to anybody but also but through draco here we do get our first couple mentions of other stuff that we're going to learn about more later like the hogwarts houses as well as quidditch yep and also uh that magic can uh, whisk away magically uh, poop, but not snobbery. <laughs> nope. But shortly after this, uh, Hagrid winds up coming back. He's got some ice cream for them, which is nice. You know, a, a weird combo, I think. Chocolate and what was it, raspberry? Uh, chocolate, raspberry, and then like crushed nuts. But it sounds good. I mean, um, but after this, we get kind of the next fun bit where it's up to Harry to go get his wand. And as we know... The wand chooses the wizard. As we learn pretty soon right here from Ollivander himself, fine purveyor of wand since 382 BC. Yeah, he's been in the game for a long time. Or I'm assuming it might be a family business, too, because, I mean, yeah. he seems old and wizened. But I know at that point, too, like, because we think, what, Dumbledore is over like 100 something. So he's he's probably up there in age, but he's not he's not that old. Does seem old in the movies, though, and yeah. even older by the last one. Yeah, man, what a great introduction to this character! To this character who is all about the wands. Every time you mention somebody's name, he's describing the wands that he sold them, um, because he says like your first wand, but basically that's the wand you're kind of stuck with. Well, not yeah. stuck with, but until they break it for some innocuous crime. First thing, he recognizes Harry not from the scar, but also by uh, his mother's eyes, Harry having his mother's eyes, which I think, you know, is only the second time we get it mentioned, and we'll get it mentioned a lot more. His mom had a uh, willow willow tree wand, good for charm work. His dad had a mahogany wand, you know. So, you know, you get willow, which is actually uh, part of the Celtic calendar, and it would actually be my birth month. Hmm. Uh, there is a Celtic tree zodiac, which the one lore is roughly based off of. Like J.K. Rowling even said that she took a little bit from there, but also like just her love of trees and nature, you know, kind of expanded on it. Because of course, mahogany's not on the Celtic uh, tree zodiac. And Chris, your birth month would uh, I have ivy? If you want to know, like if you actually wind up going to the Wizarding World to buy a physical wand they do base it off of this um, but if you go on to the official pottermore website they take a lot of other stuff into consideration to assign you a different wand that way so the wand that i like physically have like right on my shelf over there is an ivy wand because that's the one that chose me that's the one that i got so when you went to diagon alley in in the wizarding world you bought an ivy because that's the uh... That's what they had lined up for you on the yes, Celtic calendar. Because that's that's the one that, that picked me. And then shortly after that is actually when Powdermore wound up launching. I was lucky enough to get into the beta testing for it, which was absolutely crazy because they would do trivia questions that you had to like be available like when they posted it and then the questions would drive you to one of the books. Um, they had seven different waves of invites, one from each book. So each book would have a different trivia question where it was like on page, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. The fourth word of this was the third letter, and then you have to insert it onto Pottermore to see if you can get into it. Whatever. As soon as we get through that, um, 
you're able to do your house sorting test and then you can actually get your wand. Uh, for me, my wand is Holly with unicorn hair, 14 and a half inches, slightly springy. And Paul, do you have yours available? Yes, I do. It's a, a sycamore wood Ooh. with unicorn hair. Twinsies there. Hey. Uh, 12 and one quarter inch. Hard flexibility. And then also available on Pottermore, if you want to know more about this, they do have the wand lore available, which for Paul, uh, Sycamore is a questing wand, eager for new experience and losing brilliance if engaged in mundane activities. It's a quirk of these handsome wands that they may combust if allowed to become bored, and many witches and wizards settling down into middle age are concerned to find that their twussy wand bursting into flame in their hand as they ask it one more time to fetch their slippers. Uh, as may be deduced, the sycamore's ideal owner is curious, vital, and adventurous. When paired with such an owner, it demonstrates a capacity to learn and adapt that it earns a rightful place among the world's most highly prized wandwoods. And then for me, I have a holly wand, which I'm scrolling up through because there's like 12, no, there's like 15 different uh, woods that are available on Pottermore, depending on what chooses you. Holly is one of the rare wandwoods. Traditionally considered protective, it works most happily for those who need help overcoming a tendency to anger and impetuosity. Same time, holly wands are often uh, choose owners who are engaged in some dangerous and often spiritual quest. Harry also has a holly wand. Holly is one of the woods that most dramatically in performance depending on the wand core. Uh, notoriously difficult wood to team with a phoenix feather as the wood's volatility conflicts strangely with the phoenix detachment. Uh, an unusual event of such a pairing finds its way to its ideal match. Nothing and nobody should stand in their way. They also have a bunch of stuff about the wand cores, which are unicorn uh, hair, dragon heartstring, and then phoenix feather. Paul, both you and I have unicorn hair, uh, which produces the most consistent magic and is least subject to fluctuation and blockages. Wands with unicorn core are generally most difficult to turn to the dark arcs, and they are the most faithful of all wands, usually remain strongly attached to their first owner, irrespective of whether he or she was an accomplice witch or wizard. Uh, major disadvantages of it, though, are that they do not make the most powerful wands uh, and are prone to melancholy if mishandled, meaning their hair may die and need replacing. So, Paul, sounds like your wand, you gotta you got to keep that thing active. you got to go out there and uh, turn that engine over every now and then. Yeah, I gotta just come up with a different good thing that I got the uh, book of magical theory at home, so I can be trying all different types of spells. Good thing, man, because otherwise, whoo, it'd be blowing up. There you go. Well, something else that Harry learns too is not only is his wand just kind of an outlier, but the phoenix who supplied the feather for it only gave one other feather for a wand, and it wound up in the hands of he who must not be named the very person who gave him the scar that's on his forehead doomed his family and crushed most of the wizarding world. Uh, big, big heaviness. Mm-hmm. A, a lot to unload on someone on their first day. But you know what? Nothing that sitting down and having a hamburger with Hagrid can't fix. Hopefully for the next month. Because he, here he is again. Harry, Harry's doubting himself again as he's trying to eat his hamburger. He's like, man, I, how am I going to catch up? And, you know, Hagrid's like, yeah, don't worry about it. You're you're a potter. <laughs> I don't think it's that reassuring. Not really. Everybody's at their first year beginning at Hogwarts. Same as you there, Harry. Don't you worry. And it's like, eh, I'm a little worried. So something I kind of teased a little bit ago, uh, where we find out that it cost Harry seven galleons for his wand. 
Would we wind up doing the math based off of what the conversion between wizard currency to U.S. dollar is at this time? Because, you know, again, it could have changed. Uh, in 1991, when Harry would have got his wand, it would have cost him $46.48. Okay. That's not bad at all. I mean, I spent more for my iPhone, which is technically like leased through my internet or my cell phone provider. Like, that's not bad for like, you know, a piece of wizarding equipment that you're going to pretty much use from like the day you get it to the day you die. Like that's 46 bucks isn't bad. But, you know, I, I keep on thinking, you know, just the look of the boxes and everything and look of all of Anders. I've taken it to like a good shoe shop fit and everything. I spent more on meals I did not like than Harry spent for the wand that would help him go on to defeat the Master of Dark Magic. But hey, you know what? A lot of great stuff coming out of this chapter. Uh, and a lot of great stuff coming forward. So continue to read along with us. Uh, and we'll catch you next time on the next episode of Word Books with Friends. <laughs>